Jarring Cacophony once again tells you you're back in the Power of Three dungeon. I'm Kenny Smith and we're continuing our look at Doctor Who books. And with me in his chains there, give your change a shake Dave. It's Dave Steele. Hello that Dave Steele. Hello that Kenny Smith. What's happening? How's, how's life in the outside world? It's very good. It's very interesting. What day is it today? Because I've lost count. It's the, it's the 20th of November, so we're getting close to the oh anniversary. So we might let you out to see some sunlight and maybe even give you access to the internet to see what's been happening <laughs> in Doctor Who. Well, it's funny you should say that. Listeners, all joking aside, the day we record this, it's the day after um, Tales from the TARDIS was revealed and announced. So um, we're probably going to do an episode of them at some point. But how exciting to see Fraser and Wendy and Peter and Maureen together. It was. It um, was. But do you know what really, really got me going? Tell me. When I saw the picture of Katie Manning with Danny Anthony. I know. And I was chatting with Danny last week and saying, what have you been up to recently? Because I hadn't spoken to him <laughs> a wee while. And he didn't mention this at all. And Brilliant. I texted him last night and said, you... Yes. Seven letter words starting with B. Right. With exclamation marks. <laughs> and I just got a smiley and a heart back. Excellent. So, yeah. Um, yeah, we're, gonna, we're definitely going to talk about them. Um, it's, you know, it's very, we'll see, so we'll save all the chat for that when we actually do that episode. But yes, just to give you some context, listeners, as to when we're recording this episode. To, yes, we're doing, um, if you've been with us all month, we're doing different Doctor Who book every day. It's a different way of doing Doctor Adventures every day. So we've done all the TV Doctors. And because David Tennant's come back as the Doctor for the sixth anniversary, we're doing a little few days of David Tennant starring books, of course, from when he was the tenth Doctor. And today we're or doing the 12th. or the eleventh. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> today we're doing Autonomy by the lovely Daniel Blythe, who we both met when once again we're talking about um novel experiences back in May down in Derby. Yes, what a lovely fella. What I'd a been, nice bloke. He was. I've been chatting with Danny to try and get a chat uh, about some of his new adventures for perhaps future podcasts and he was willing to do that but of course this one's come up and it was fantastic I mean since doing his new adventures he's become an accomplished author in his own mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and then obviously brought back into the Doctor Who folk by the brilliant editor Justin Richards so it was a real joy when I remember these were announced and thought hey Daniel Blythe's coming back because I really enjoyed the Dimension Riders and Infinite Requiem was the other one wasn't it where the villain's mm -hmm. called Shanstra back see I remember that I remember Back that. In the day. Was Dimension Riders not partly set in Cambridge? Yes. And See, some people thought it was a sequel to Shadow, but it wasn't, because there was a professor in there who they thought was Cronotus, but it wasn't. Professor Daniel Joyce. There you go. There you go. Listeners, this is the stuff that sticks in your head. I haven't read Dimension Riders probably since, what, 1995 or 1996 yeah. or something like that, but this is what sticks in your head. That's because we love books, Dave. We do. But we love stories. <laughs> well, that's someone else. Yeah. It's another podcast. Yeah. It's nice that Daniel came back because there's quite a lot of writers back in the day that have kind of maintained a connection, a few that kind of haven't. So it's nice that, um, I mean, obviously this book was a while ago. Well, again, like the other, some of the other ones we've done at the moment, published in 2009 when, when DT wasn't having a full series that year. Um, but it was, it, was, it was nice that he came back in. I really liked Autonomy. I've got, I've got a fair bit to say about it, to be honest. Well, why don't you tell us what the back cover has to say before you tell us what you've I'd got to say? I'd love to, because we did that. I can't remember if we've done that or not, listeners, when I went on a big rant before we... Before, anyway, we won't do that today. So, <laughs> Hyperville is 2013's top high-tech 24-hour entertainment complex. A sprawling palace of fun under one massive roof. You can go shopping or experience the excitement of Doom Castle, Winter Zone or Wild West World. But things are about to get a lot more exciting and dangerous. 
what unspeakable horror is lurking on level zero of Hyperville, and what will happen when the entire complex goes over to central computer control. For years, the nesting consciousness has been waiting and planning, recovering from its wounds. But now it's ready, and its deadly plastic autons are already in place around the complex. Now, more than ever, visiting Hyperville will be an unforgettable experience. Featuring the Doctor as played by David Tennant in the hit series from BBC Television. There we go. That's a good summing up. Thank you for that. Always a pleasure. So, yeah, autonomy. When I think of it, I think of it, it's the one that's got a lot of celebrity culture satire. It's got shopping centre satire. And it also makes me think of the crystal maze a little bit as well. It's very 2009. I was amused at the fact that it was sort of set in 2013 because some of the stuff that's in this had really changed quite radically even by 2013. Like there was talk of CDs at one point and you know when I was still in HMV in 2013 and CDs were still a thing but downloads had become much more of a thing and also social media had become a lot more of a thing Twitter and Instagram had really started kicking in by then so I think if Daniel had maybe just said it in 2010 or 2011 some of that might not have felt quite as archaic that's the trouble from because I hadn't read it before listeners that's the trouble of reading it 14 years after it was first published as you say there's some very very pointed and very funny celebrity satire like obviously Sir Jerry mm-hmm. is clearly based on Alan Sugar yep no subtlety there involved whatsoever but it felt very authentic you can absolutely imagine Russell T Davis doing this as a TV episode almost word for word quite frankly yep. um, Daniel it's a shame you didn't get to this for telly all the little things taking the mickey out of the, the, the process in The Apprentice The Apprentice is still going now of course I gave up watching it a few years ago because it had gone from watch from a programme where you're watching a bunch of quite competent people trying to be their best to let's just get a bunch of idiots in and just sort of see who can be the most entertaining and it became real unsatisfying but that's a whole other podcast <laughs> I was also amused by the relationship between Paul Kendrick and was it Shanike or Shanique mm-hmm. Shanike um, because that obviously put me in you know circa 2009 if it was written that put me in mind of you know Cheryl and Ashley Cole I was thinking Posh and Bex. Well, that was yeah, yeah, that was that sort of thing. It yeah. was obvious, but it was obviously you know, I thought sort of because you know the David and Victoria Beckham thing is is the obvious one. But I was sort of thinking at the time there was all this fuss about because Cheryl was from Girls Aloud, from you know a manufacturing in plain sight sort of girl band. But there was all this sort of thing about the relationship not being one hundred percent genuine because yeah. she'd obviously had some trouble in her past. There was rumours about him, so it was almost like you know was it, there was some speculation. There was a sort of a marriage of political convenience and all yeah. that sort of thing. So I was reminded most of Ashley and Sheza, and it was actually really interesting the way that all po- sort of played out. That um, that they were both autons essentially, very high yeah. functioning autons. But that was very interesting. And it was also very surprising, actually, when they both turned out to be autons. I felt quite sorry for Shiniki, to be honest. Um, she didn't have a lot to do in the book, but the empathy was kind of there because you got the sense that it was like, you know, a young pop star could be worked to death almost. You know, so you kind of wanted to get a happy ending. And then the way that played out was very surprising. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I thought with her was that I mean, she's the ultimate manufactured pop star. Well, that's it. That's, that's exactly you know, the point I was making, yeah. It's... You know, it's, it's as you say, the broadly satirical, <laughs> yeah. not desperately, you know, very on the nose almost. Yeah. Um, another stuff that we should talk about. I mean, it's the influences are are obviously crystal clear as well. It's you know, it's, it's Westworld basically. Yeah. This, I mean, 
another thing we should probably talk about as well is one thing that hasn't that's changed in, in the real world is that internet shopping has become much more a thing I don't think the big destination malls like this are as big a thing as they used no, to be definitely not I mean I'm, I'm old enough to remember when the Brayhead shopping centre opened which kind of practically decimates some people say is responsible for decimating Paisley Town Centre you know it's, that's my hometown that's from where I'm from originally and I know that some friends of mine from school who you know married with families etc Brayhead was a destination for them and I remember oh god when would it have been a good 10 or 12 years ago maybe, maybe longer than that actually in the mid to mid late 2000s going to meet another couple of people from school who I hadn't seen for a long time and we went just by happenstance to to Brayhead for somewhere to eat and one of my friends being surprised that I'd, the only time I'd been there I'd been two instances in my HMV capacity just huh. to go and help out at the shop with, with a stock counter or whatever so I'd never actually been at the centre and John seemed appalled that I'd never been there I thought well I don't have a reason yeah. this isn't the sort of place that I would go to I mean I don't have two kids to entertain or anything like that yeah. you know, so that that was really interesting because I don't think these big destination shopping centres are a thing anymore because obviously there's talk in Glasgow about at the moment about the Enoch Centre being demolished and kind of galleries being demolished so I think those sort of things have had their time so again this is what made it really interesting as an artefact was looking back at that sort of stuff and going oh yeah you know, so look at somewhere like Silverburn now where the Debenhams is closed and yeah. a couple of other big franchise type stores yeah, have gone and you, because everyone buys so much of their stuff online now yeah. so that was an interesting thing to think about good Doctor Who really does hold up a mirror to its time and I think this is a really good one for sort of a nice little capsule of what was going on at the time it was written and it was very interesting reading this and thinking about how many things in everyone's day to day lives had changed since this came out I agree with that. I think it's, it's fascinating how it's changed because, like, say, East Kilbride Shopping Centre near where I live. Where I that, used to work. Indeed. Oof. It was the biggest undercover shopping centre in Scotland. And since COVID, it's just gone. They did a big refit beforehand, put in a new leisure area. Right. And since COVID, it's just been dead. So now they're going to demolish the extension that they built in the early 2000s, flatten that completely and sort of refocus on the traditional shopping area right. and put housing where that whole oh new shopping goodness. bit is wow. up where HMV is. That's, right. go, that's all going. So HMV is going to be... It'll, be mo- it'll have to move elsewhere, right. but yeah. Oh my goodness. I'm not Back up. to where it originally was. Better than, oh right, of course. But uh, yeah, up by... Cross, the that was just down from yeah, my office. Yeah, up the hill. Yeah. As I remember it. Um, um, no, yeah. no, no. Yeah, because I, I, the last three months I was with Abbey National, early 1997, I remember the hike to go... Round to our price in HMV. You were just a horrible, pokey little HMV. Yeah, yeah it's not a game. I worked on one that's there at the moment for about a year, run about 20 years ago, actually. That's when yeah. I went there, and um, Kenny came in to see me a few times. I remember you were looking for that. Oh, what was it? The Web of Fear? Yes, set couldn't because, get it anywhere. Yeah, because there wasn't many of them. The last VHS, Rain of Terror. Yeah. But yeah, I remember that that sorry that pokey little tiny HMV because I used to go up to there and our price on my lunch break from Abbey National mm. to buy whatever albums or singles are out that yeah. week that I wanted. So yeah, that's interesting. I'll need I'm a little bit out of the HMV loops. So I'll need to get on the goss and the jungle drums and find yeah. out what's happening there. But that's a shame because that was when I worked there. That was all. I mean, obviously, twenty years ago, that was all fresh and brand yeah. new. And that's that's the shop's still great. The yeah, staff are of course. Okay. So I yeah, I just wish they'd right. give my Katie a job. But yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Quite, um, but you know, it's interesting to talk just that change in culture Absolutely. And, it, and it's captured here in this book and it does capture that moment in time which is as lovely we've got that slice of yeah. the early 2000s I mean there was some stuff I thought I felt that it kind of it almost seemed in a hurry for things to start going wrong I didn't feel we got a proper sense of the whole complex as a whole because we don't get to the way the wild west section until much later on and obviously Westworld yeah. is a massive influence on these little 
and as you say, you know, the crystal maze, these little zones and stuff sort of scattered through it. Um, I feel like maybe you could have done a little bit longer with the scene setting, but the trouble is, the Doctor's got to be involved. There's no If he had a tra- particular travelling companion at the time, maybe he could have dropped them off and they could have spent some time, but obviously he doesn't. So the sort of Ersatz companion in this story is someone called Katie, who is brilliant. I really, really hoped that she would have gone with him at the end, but obviously she got a new job with Sir Jerry and stuff. And yeah. also the support characters of Reese and Chantel, because their stepdad gets killed by an Auton, and that's horrible. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, they were teenagers. They were they were tremendous. They felt very again very you know authentic. It, it properly, uh, to use the, my favourite phrase, it, it was proper Doctor Who. It felt very of the time. And again, like I'm timey wimey. I might have said it, but now I might not have said it. But it was about the other some of the other books we've done. It was very easy to imagine this one going out on TV, pretty much as it was. Yeah, very much so. And I think I think Daniel did a, a good job on it. Very much so indeed. Yeah, I've just mentioned Daniel. Do you know what we should do? I think we should talk to him. I think so. Well, I think you should talk to okay, him. Okay, I'll, I'll go and do it. Right, right. You, you go back to the dungeon and be quiet for a few minutes. Hi there, I'm Daniel Blythe, and I'm the author of the BBC Doctor Who books book, Autonomy. Well, that's been 14 years since that came out. It's quite a scary thought, isn't it? It is, it is, yeah. It's it's the, yeah, I mean, you look at it that from that point of view, it's... um the same distances between the unearthly child and mask and mandragora which is very terrifying um but yeah these books are just getting old enough i think to have that kind of nostalgia cachet about them and uh it was great to write for david who was the doctor at the time and of course is coming back to be the doctor again and what is also great is that the bbc have kept these books in print as well so those of us who go out and about and do school events and so on, we've still got copies of the books to, to sell to, to kids. So it's been in hardback, it's been in paperback, it's been reissued in paperback, it's been a lovely audio version with George Moffat reading it, so it's it's carried on having a life. And the great thing about it being in print, there's another great word that goes with that, royalties. Yeah, well, I mean, we had a one-off payment rather than royalties. Oh. Which, yeah, they just changed it just before I, yeah, the initial BBC books were done on, a, on an advance and royalties basis. This probably won't be terribly interesting to anybody, but uh, and they changed it to have a, a one-off payment, which my, my agent wasn't desperately happy about, but that's the way it's done. So, but it was, it's fine. And yeah, with the author copies, I am allowed to to buy them up at, a, at an author rate and then sell them at a little bit higher than that. So, and I, and I make sure it's a decent deal for everyone concerned. You know, the kids get a cheaper book than they, than they would get in a shop, and I, I can buy them at half price. So, win, yeah. win, win for win, everyone. Win. So, yeah. there we go. <laughs> so, let's uh, wind back to when you got that first email, because I suppose it'd been a wee bit of a while since you'd written a Doctor Who book. Yeah, I mean, I thought I'd, I was done, you know, I thought that was it, Kenny. I thought, you know, I'd done my two new adventures and I'd, and I'd moved on. I'd written lots of other stuff. And then Justin Richards sent me a message out of the blue, uh, which is really nice. It was actually, I think it was on Facebook. I think it was on a Facebook message or on, on Messenger. And uh, he said, how do you feel about the Autons? And I said, oh, yeah, they're great. I love the Autons. And then his next line was, well, how do you feel about writing an Auton book? Uh, and I said, yeah, brilliant. So, you know, that was, I was amazed to be, to be given the chance. I think Gary Russell had a hand in it as well. I think Gary had recommended me to Justin as somebody who could, you know, write a book in a fairly short space of time and was reliable and so on. So, yeah, 14 years after um, Infinite Requiem, came back to to do autonomy and obviously the books were very different beasts by then i mean they we, we weren't doing the new adventures too broad and deep for the small screen anymore we were doing something which was very close to what the tv uh, output was going to be like and so after that after justin um sort of 
informally commissioned me, uh, I then had to go away and do a one-page outline of autonomy, um, literally just one page of A4 to say how the plot, you know, how the, the basic beats of the plot were going to pan out. That then had to be approved by BBC Wales and um, came back with some very positive comments. Um, I don't think I had to change a thing in the synopsis. And then I went and wrote it, which took about six months. And uh, I think I was juggling a day job at the same time back then, from what I remember. I think I had one of my one of my occasional office jobs going on at the same time. So I was writing uh, late night and, and early morning, which was a nice challenge to have. I suppose that yeah, must have been a real thrill for you in doing this, given that at this point the show's at the height of its popularity. David yeah. Tennant is you know, on the front page of TV listings, magazines all the time, and Absolutely. here you are, Absolutely. you're writing for him. Yeah, I felt I felt part of it. I felt part of the ongoing, you know, process of the show. I mean, the one thing they were able to tell me was that Donna was going to be leaving, and I had to keep that to myself. So I was writing you know, David Tennant on on his own, and I could have a, a one-off companion. And then it was very different from doing the new adventures because, you know, I, I was I wasn't trying to sort of capture the voice of, a, of an older doctor I was trying to capture the, the feel of, of, of the current doctor and to and to be able to to capture his idiom and to, and to say right this is this is the way he looks this is the way he moves this is the way he expresses certain words you know even down to that the the, the one-off companion that I had Kate McGuire who's a sort of businesswoman apprentice type businesswoman and I could I kept hearing the doctor I kept hearing David Tennant saying Kate Kate in, his, in my head you know I could hear it in his head and um so everything I read back every line and uh, Steve Tribe was my um, copy editor and he was he was brilliant in picking up the places where I hadn't quite got David I was channeling other doctors once or twice I was channeling John Pertwee I was channeling Tom Baker and he said that doesn't quite sound David enough and uh, and he was absolutely right but yeah I very much enjoyed feeling like I was part of the ongoing narrative of, of the show which is obviously different from the process we went through with the new adventures. Yeah, when you're pretty much left to go on and do your own yeah, thing. With our own thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So tell us a wee bit about the setting. What inspired you to come up with Hyperville? Yeah, um, Justin said, how about having the Autons in uh, a theme park? And when I did my one-page outline, I expanded on that. And I thought, yeah, let's make it this kind of multi-functional place there's a massive shopping sense shopping mall outside Sheffield where I live called Meadowhall and I was picturing like a gigantic Meadowhall but with other things attached to it as well you know, what if Meadowhall was not just for shopping but was one of these I was kind of thinking ahead to what they're going to be like actually what, what if it was you know, an all an all-day entertainment place with you know it didn't just have shops it had casinos it had nightclubs it had these sort of virtual spaces that you can you can explore and i almost imagine something like that might exist by 2013 which was the uh, the, the the date in which i i set hyperville it was initially called hyperville actually hyperville was the working title for the story and then autonomy just sort of came to me in a brainwave i thought oh that's good autonomy yeah yeah autonomy autons independence yeah it's, it had that lovely double meaning because part of the story is obviously about Autons, but you know, people who think that they're human and are actually autons—that's not a massive spoiler because that becomes clear quite early on. I did it before Stephen Moffat did it. Yay! I can claim that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, the, the setting. The setting grew out of that. Wanting somewhere like I could—I'm a very visual thinker, and I wanted somewhere that I could almost imagine it being filmed yeah, as part of Doctor Who. They could have recorded this in Meadowhall with a bit of additional CGI 
studio work. Yeah. If of course if it had been the eighties it would have been an extra few bits of tinsel or something or some <laughs> yes. silver foil to make it more spacey. Um, but I mean, the thing that I particularly liked about it was I remember at the time thinking, you've absolutely got that thing that Russell was very much doing at the time of getting a location that's familiar to viewers or in this case readers and taking it and then just pushing it like a couple of steps into tomorrow or the day or the year after and I think that is very much what you tapped into that kind of feeling and I imagine that's entirely what you wanted. Yeah I mean Doctor Who is obviously at its best I think when it's grounded in reality and then takes that reality off in another direction there's something for the viewers to identify the readers to identify with. I also put in these little sort of nods to popular culture, which, you know, they're obviously acknowledging the kind of thing that Russell did in, in Bad Wolf, where, you know, he parodies various sort of game shows. And clearly, you know, I've got Sir Jerry, who is a sort of Alan Sugar kind of figure doing a sort of apprentice type thing. I've got the nods to Robin of Sherwood and, and to Narnia in the, the winter zone. And just little throwbacks to other things from past Doctor Who as well. I mean, the two maintenance men exploring the the dingy, you know, duct, and, and you just know they're going to get picked off. It's it's a nod to things like the miner in the start of the Green Death and the two guys at the start of Attack of the Cybermen, who you know are, are going to be doomed, and the, the the killer dolls. Well, I just really wanted to have you know reference to that, that that Robert Holmes did, and to imagine how would it be done if it was done now, and what would I find sinister? And straight away I thought, well, it's got to be one of those little pink girly dolls that little girls have that say mama and wet themselves and, the, and it came up with an entire army of those sort of surging up the, the escalator in, in Hyperville. And my daughter had a, a little doll like that and we found it really unnerving and called it baby and um, did, used to do baby's voice to each other to freak each other out and um, uh, my, my kids once... <laughs> My, kid, my kids once uh, hosted and an, they got Baby to host an entire episode of The Weakest Link in the back of the car on the way to Wales. And Baby was even scarier. And the Teddies were the contestants and Baby was the host and Baby was even scarier than Anne Robinson. <laughs> so that's where the scary babies came from in autonomy. Oh, God. Well, my daughter had a doll called Martha Rose. Oh, right. and, it, and it came from Miss Jones and uh, Miss Tyler. So Yeah. <laughs> I should say Dr. Jones, but uh, there we go. Yes. I suppose, that, again, that's the thing when it comes to the Autons, there's an awful lot there to play with. The fact that yeah. they have been used so sparingly over the years. Um, I think they've only been in, I think it was one of Craig Kenton's Synthespians, pretty much was yeah. the only yeah. novel yeah. appearance prior to that. And uh, yeah. So how did you find them to write for? Quite, quite open. Yeah, very much. I mean, there's so much you can do with them. I mean, if you, you know, I went back to Spearhead from Space and Terror of the Autons, and there's so many different aspects to them as baddies. You know, you've got the globes, and then you've got the taking over plastic, you've got the facsimiles. There's lots of these different aspects of them jostling. And part of the trouble that I had writing it, actually, was trying to work out how do all these different things fit in together? How do they work together? How do they all work as aspects of the nesting consciousness? And I think I pretty much had it worked out by the time I'd finished it. But... Um, yeah, it was okay. There are different aspects of how it can control plastic, and so you have the scary dolls. You have Andrea, the journalist, with with her PVC boots coming to life and engulfing her, which I really enjoyed writing. Which Justin said was a wonderfully macabre scene. I read that bit out in schools actually, and do school visits. That's that's the bit I choose to read out, and the, the kids always find it funny. Yeah, so those different 
the, the sort of yeah the, they're, not, they're not like the Daleks of the Autons they don't just do one thing you know there are all these different aspects to play with and all tying into recognizable aspects of modern consumer culture and so it was the ideal setting for it to be in that very much captured that and um, just the, the things you can do with plastics and uh, yeah. the boots is just genius although that's not to say that uh, people who wear pvc boots should stop wearing them just because they might be autons please not don't all. No, no. <laughs> they're probably very stylish <clears throat> anyway moving swiftly on <laughs> who did you find getting the tone obviously with new adventures it was very much more adult but you mentioned yeah. earlier it was this it was obviously something different sort of era and were you trying to feel that you got that reflection of the sort of took your tone from the tv series yeah very much so i mean i went back to the david tennant episodes and um yeah just you know tried to get his voice right tried to get that sort of that really kind of fine line between the jokiness and the and the hectic menace which obviously it's always done and just kept reminding myself look i i am trying to write something which could have been done like an episode on television and you know, but those books from 2009, I think you know, the six of them could could slot into that series. You know, they could be the the, the six missing episodes from the 2009 series, and um, we can debate about where they go and <laughs> who gets the two-parter. I think Trevor's Dalek story should be the two-parter, the big one in the middle, and the rest of us fit in either side. And then you've got you know, Plan to the Dead at the beginning and Wars of Mars at the end. So it's uh, the 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 tone that they were aiming for was very much that. So yeah, it was big and bold and and funny and hectic, and I got it pretty much right. I think there were one or two bits that that it has picked up on. I think there was one scene where I think it's in the Western Zone, where um, uh, the Doctor is uh, the Doctor sort of jokingly calls the Auton Joe, and then he says, "Oh, it's Joe Auton," and then he gets the, the <laughs> he gets the sonic screwdriver and he sticks it in the Auton's ear. And the line that they cut was the Doctor saying, "Prick up your ears, Joe," and which I thought was quite funny, but it was a little bit contrived and obviously, you know, a little bit too risque for the audience. So it was a shame to lose that, but they were absolutely right to make me cut that. <laughs> Then again, Stephen yeah. Moffat would probably have let it through in his time. He probably would have liked it, but um, yeah, um, yeah, I, I think you know, it's you're treading a fine line between the adult audience and and the kids' audience, and you have to be, be aware of these things. But um, yeah, ninety nine percent of it, I, I got got the tone right, I think, and a lot of it's in the dialogue as well. And I wasn't particularly imagining any particular actors playing the parts, but I, I could I could picture the people. You know, I could picture Sir Jerry and Kate. And, and Tess and all the rest of them, and I had a very clear visual image of, of them all. And and I one thing I try and tell writing students as well, because I do a lot of editing and mentoring stuff, is to get your dialogue right and get your get your dialogue distinct between your different characters. Because too many people, when they start writing, will write the the, the dialogue being you know quite similar between different characters, and so to try and distinguish between various characters and you can hear that dialogue coming off the page is, is what I aim for. Hope I got that right. You mentioned dialogue. How did you find capturing that new series sort of like the pace of it all compared with whereas with the new adventures it could be slightly more prosaic with it and yeah. laid back? Yeah, I think there's probably more dialogue um, in autonomy than in my new adventures. I think, you know, that we, we were writing something you know, snappy and yeah, something which wasn't wasn't a script but could have been you know, it could could be pictured visually 
so yeah, I, I think there's probably more of a balance towards dialogue than prose. I think I, I almost tried to pare back my style as well. I'm quite a descriptive, or I was, I think then, quite a, a descriptive writer, and I, I yeah, tried to edit myself quite a lot and tried to write not not simplistically, but try to write like Terence Dix, you know, be very direct, be very straightforward, say exactly what you want people to see. And I think largely it, it worked. And obviously there is going to be subtext and there's, there's you know, there's, there's satire, there's parody, there's stuff about celebrity culture in there, but it's, it's quite broad. And I think in general, it, that, that broadness sort of works. I think it you know, can be enjoyed on several levels for that reason. Definitely does, definitely does. Now, just when you mentioned Terence Dix, and you mentioned earlier uh, the Doctor dialogue being picked up by Steve Tribe. Are you one who subscribes to the Terence Dix school of the Doctor is the Doctor is the Doctor? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they've all got their own voices, but um, yeah, very much. I mean, I I, I grew up reading Terence's books um, and uh, and Malcolm Hulk and, and Ian Martyr and all the rest. The books were always just as important to me as, as the TV show, and I. Although I grew up with Tom Baker as the Doctor, the first Doctor Who novel I ever read was The Doomsday Weapon. Um, so it had a Doctor in that I'd never seen on television. You know, I'd never seen a John Pertwee episode. I think I didn't see one until the Five Faces repeats when I would have been 12. So, you know, at the age of five, I was reading The Doomsday Weapon and uh, I didn't really know who the Master was and I didn't know who this other guy playing the Doctor was or who Joe Grant was, uh, but it was all Doctor Who. And then the second book I got was Robot, and that was much more familiar to me because it was the first story I ever saw. So I was mentally comparing it with what I'd seen, yeah. Of course, when you were writing this, your kids would have been just the right age, pretty much your target audience as well. So they must have been quite thrilled when they found out that uh, this is what dad's working on right now. Yeah, they're, they're very excited. I think my son was still a bit young. He would have been six. My daughter would have been nine, ten. And she, yeah, she was a big Doctor Who fan then. My son was still at the age of being quite sort of fascinated, but also a bit scared by it. And yeah, my daughter was a huge David Tennant fan. Yeah, she's gone away from it in recent years. I think she might come back now that he's coming back, perhaps. But And I think, they're, I think they'll both give Shooty Gatwara a go as well. I think they're, they're interested by him as an actor. But yeah, it was, it was quite instructive um, having small children uh, around. And they, when it first came back with Christopher Eccleston and Billy Piper, they were five and two. And I remember we all watched it as a family. And I thought, is this the future? You know, let's hope that this is the way this is going to go. Kids are actually going to start enjoying Doctor Who again. And then I started doing school visits. Uh, I've just done my 400th school visit, and I've been doing them since 2007. Well done. <laughs> and, yeah. And so I started doing them before Autonomy came out. And as Doctor Who started to make an impact and sort of break through into that sort of playground culture, and I started seeing kids with Cyberman water bottles and, and Dalek satchels and, you know, kids doing the voices in the playground. And I was thinking, gosh, it's actually happening, isn't it? I kept thinking back to something that Mark Gatiss said back in the wilderness years, which was about seeing that filming of the Daleks, the, the DVD extra or something, or a special, or something to do with filming the Daleks on Westminster Bridge during um, one of the... 30 uh, years in the TARDIS. Yeah, it's one to that, yeah. And, and, and he, this boy saying, what's that, mummy? And Mark thinking, gosh, is, is that it? Is, is this is this how it starts and this was kind of the opposite of that this was me looking around the playground thinking ah okay this is how it all begins again then yeah the kids are watching it and and they still do i always ask when i go into schools you know how many of you actually 
still watch Doctor Who, and there's always a, a good number, varies from school to school, but you know, there's always a good number who still do watch it. So, yeah. so yeah, had that insight through my children and through the, the children that I speak to in schools as well. What did you think of the cover when you were first sent that through? That must have been a real thrill. Yeah, actually, um, I, I love it, but I didn't actually get to see it. Um, I think I, I think the first, I shouldn't say this, but the first time I saw it was when I read um, the review in one of the magazines, possibly TV or, or SFX, and I thought, oh, that's my cover then. All right, all right, not seen it. So I think there was a slight oversight there, but um, yeah, not that I would have objected to anything in it. I think it's 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 Lee Binding, isn't it? It's very good. He does a, does a great job with those sort of collage type pictures. And yeah, so... I think I must have, thinking about it, I must have seen it, I must have seen a preview rather than a review. I must have seen the cover as a preview in a magazine because I saw the Auton with the purple shirt on the cover and I thought, oh, I can incorporate that into the manuscript. So while I was still writing it, I made Paul, the um, the, the footballer Auton, be dressed like that. So I'm, I'm wrong, it wasn't a review, it was a preview that I saw, yeah. The book got a great reception when it came, it came, it came out, I remember chatting with my friends and we all loved it and uh, there was just something about those books the fact there was three of them came out at once and you did feel you were getting like a mini series and I think uh, right. that was yeah. the, the real joy of it and it was the case of which one do I read first and then of course I worked out there's actually the numbers in the spine are actually Gallifrey numbers because if you go with chapter titles you can work it out from the previous books so That's I was able right. to do mine in order so you must have been pleased that it went down so well yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mine came out in a trio with with David's and with Chris's, didn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. And then there was another trio earlier on in in, in the year. And yeah, I, I I think it did quite well in the magazine survey as well. I think it, it came third after the Dalek book and the and the story book, uh, which was nice because my new adventures hadn't done that well in the polls. So, uh, <laughs> languishing down there like Kinder and Deadly Assassin, ready to to be re reevaluated in later years, but. Uh, <laughs> But autonomy was 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 liked when it first came out. Yeah, I think pretty much everyone gave it good reviews. I mean, there's one or two online. You know, you can always find someone who hated it. I mean, you're never going to please everyone. But yeah, largely people seem to like it. I suppose the review that you really need to know most is that uh, the one that is that I liked it. So that's what matters. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. You mentioned back at the start of our chat that Georgia Tennant had done the audiobook. That must have been a wee joy for you as well, getting the doctor's daughter, who is also the doctor's wife, to read it out. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't know actually who was going to be doing it, um, and then I was uh, I was sent an advance um, copy of it, and uh, yeah, she did a wonderful job. I mean, you always wonder how they're going to do the voices, and I, I'm always in awe of, of any actor who can who can do these these audiobooks because it's such a big job to sustain it and uh, to make sure you keep the energy up and keep the pace up and she did that really well so how do you look back on it now it's it's been so you know i haven't reread the whole thing since i wrote it i've reread bits of it to read out in schools so you know i think it's very much of its time but that's that's a good thing the new adventures are and if i were to write another doctor who book now it, it would be very different again because I've come on as, as a writer, I've done lots of other things in, in the you know, intervening time. I think, if anything, I've become even more sparing of my words uh, because I've done quite a few of what they call these reluctant reader books, which are aimed at teenagers who don't have such a high reading age. So, yeah, 
it's it's of its time but i think that's that's a good thing and i am proud of it i'm very proud of it and i was very pleased to have that opportunity to to write for the current doctor and for a well-known uh, adversary and to be able to play around with that and to, to do a bit of homage to to robert holmes and to rossity davis at the same time standing on the shelves of giants <laughs> best place to be just don't yeah. fall off absolutely yes <laughs> magic it's been fantastic daniel thank you so much for joining us great thank you for asking me there we go right dave you can come back out the book dungeon <laughs> what's the next one marine listeners not telling you you have to wait and see yeah it may not be the one you're expecting ah, but it could be ah, but who knows ah. Ah, anyway talking mm. of um, things you're expecting you're probably expecting to hear a review yes what were they saying about it in Doctor well, Who magazine back in the day this is from DWM number 414 uh, it's from our pal Matt Michael doing the reviews at this point and he pretty much sums the book up as saying at its best autonomy is very good indeed scenes of a child auton coming to life and killing and of plastic baby dolls crawling relentlessly towards their victims are as nightmarish as anything we've seen in the previous nesting stories. The novel also works well as a black comedy, with both confirmation of everything we've ever suspected about manufactured stardom and aliens taking over the world from a shopping mall. But ultimately, the scattergun approach means that this is not quite the book it could have been. It's probably fair. I mean. The Auton stuff was done really well. There's a scene quite near the start, very near the start, hooked me absolutely completely when um, a journalist goes to sort of investigate what's going on and characters, is it Miss Devonshire and Max, who are kind of the humans that are kind of, you know, doing the front for the, for the nesting consciousness. She kind of tells them what she's found out and basically they observe that her boots and her skirt are made out of this, was it plastinol? And basically, her boots and her skirt come to life and suffocate her and then because she's wrapped up in this stuff and then she's basically used in one of the shops as a dummy it was horrible you know proper Doctor Who very worthy of what Robert Holmes had done and I've been reminded actually of another bit you can see I've folded a couple of corners here yep. page 163 when the, the Doctor sort of confronts the consciousness which is bubbling away and there's a nice bit when he talks about it um there was sometimes a hint of a thrashing tentacle, sometimes a shadow which could have been a claw. And that reminded me of the the description of the beasts that sort of materialised in Terror of the Autons. Yes. You know, somewhere between crab, tiger and octopus. No, not tiger, that's Monty Python. <laughs> um, somewhere between crab and octopus, you know. Yep. So that was that was really good. There was tons of little details in this. You could really tell that Daniel had a lot of fun writing it, I think. Yeah. I maybe th- thought that there could have been a, a few more... James Herbert style Auton massacre vignettes. I think that would have would have done it. I've been th- I've made this comparison a few times since we've been doing the books, and I, the more I think about it, I realise that a lot of um, old school Doctor Who and James Herbert, you know, the, the popular British horror author, they're cut from a lot of the same cloth. You know, the that John Wyndham almost sort of world outside your window, going a bit wrong and a bit scary and yep. horrible things happening to nice people. And I, I would, there would have been a few points. You know, Derek the stepdad being. Actually, his death's off camera, which makes it all the more effective. Mm-hmm. A few more character, you know, characters being introduced to be killed off by autons, or, or the scenes when the autons start going, you know, wild at the party, and there's a couple of people there who you get to know very briefly. A little bit more depth in some of those, or might, you know, much more minor supporting characters might have kind of brought it up a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But that's not a criticism because there probably not wasn't room for it. But it's, I really like this one. I liked yes. it a lot. I was quite, you know, back in 2009, I wasn't really reading any of the, the, the new series books that were coming out. 
which is a shame because I think if I'd read this one and the Dalek one I probably would have enjoyed them both very much that's a good summing up I like it I like it well I did buy them and I enjoyed them all at the time because I think in particular the six that came out yeah. in this wave were they're all really well done mm-hmm. good authors good exciting stories so yeah enjoyable awesome so Dave it's that time once again but yes. today I'm going to ask you Dave what are we going to play out with today we're going to play out today with um, if you turn listeners if you turn to page 193 of your copy of Autonomy right you with me I'll wait there's a scene where Miss Devonshire first encounters the nesting consciousness and now here in the darkness she had found a friend a little glowing friend Elizabeth's not very happy listening. She doesn't have many other pals. So with that little tiny quote, we're going to play it with Birdhouse in Your Soul by They Might Be Giants. Brilliant choice. Fantastic. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks again, Dave. Take care, folks. See you later. Bye. Pine.